Welcome to Beggar's Bread, a podcast where we invite Christians and truth seekers to engage with thoughtful sources in an age of disinformation. Our name is inspired from the quote by D.T. Niles, evangelism is just one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. Each week, we recommend a source for you, either a sermon, podcast, or video. This week, our episode is The Quadrilateral Ain't a Muscle. And with that, welcome back to Beggar's Bread. It's your boy Luke from Wisconsin. Oh man, I can't wait to said that. We should start over. Should we start over? <laughs> you can't start over now. We're just oh man. Over. Okay, fine. We're just rolling. <laughs> no, we're doing single uh, takes of everything. Well, actually, that's not true. We've definitely done multiple takes before. <laughs> all right. Well, it's Luke from Wisconsin and Nick. Wait, from where are you from again? Wisconsin, Wisconsin. However, people say it. Uh, and Nick from North Carolina, uh, <laughs> probably, <laughs> allegedly, and allegedly, this week, yeah, we are we're coming at you. Oh man, I'm just, I'm totally gonna hear about this introduction <laughs> from people. <laughs> um, this week we're actually gonna start with our co-listeners' uh, feedback or review slash trailer because it is really in depth and brilliant and. So, to give you an idea of what our co-listener is reviewing, they're reviewing our recommendation of The Daily this week. It's a podcast that comes out, you guessed it, daily. And we're actually particularly re- um, recommending two episodes on August 10th and August 11th of 2020 this year. The first one called Cancel Culture, Part 1, Where It Came From. And the second episode called Cancel Culture, Part two, a case study. And with that, uh, we got Nate from Colorado who did this review slash trailer for us. Thank you so much, Nate. And let me go ahead and, and dive into his review. He says, when I listened to the daily episode or the dailies episodes on cancel culture, I went in expecting to hear opinionated perspectives driven by the same political currents polarizing much of the media with which I interact on a regular basis. However, I was pleasantly surprised by how the podcast largely steered clear of value judgments and instead focused on the context of the cancel culture phenomenon in our society, namely how the label came to be, how it reflects changing aspects of the culture, and potential dilemmas rising in its wake. While the content of the episode did not reinforce or dissuade me from conflicted feelings I have about this topic, I came away with a broader perspective on how social media, especially now in this COVID-19 world, is influencing both who gets to participate in discussions in the public square and how their messages are communicated and received. These episodes also highlighted potential pitfalls of digital social engagement when arguments made in public forums are less focused on understanding and interacting with the substance of the ideas presented and instead look to support an underlying agenda. It is concerning to see promotion of social media content that is, quote, not ideologically sincere, but tactically advantageous. This episode was thought-provoking, and I thought it was a good introduction to a conversation that our generation will need to continue as we move forward in an increasingly digital society. So that is Nate's quote. Thank you so much, Nate, um, for that quote. And thank you to all our co-listeners. Just to let you guys know, there's no pressure to have as much in-depth coverage as Nate did, but we do, of course, really appreciate this. 
And in jumping right from there, as you may have gathered, we're talking about cancel culture this week. And to kick things off, let's ask our resident, possibly resident North Carolinian, what do you think about cancel culture, Nick? Oh, great. That's a great beginning question to go with. Well, I found the podcast in general to be really interesting. Um, I don't know if it, like like you had the co-listeners say, if it changed my perspective of it. Um, but it definitely did open up like the background and history in a way that I didn't know before. Um, particularly how it began on, I think, Black Twitter in 2014 and kind of be like throughout the... Uh, Me Too movement and stuff in 2017 and gaining more traction in 2018, it really did become something that, have, um, in many ways, political force, as even like President Trump mentioned it, um, I want to say July 4th of this year in South Dakota. So as far as like my own opinions on cancel culture, I find that in many ways, and I think the podcast really did speak to my thoughts actually in many ways at least as it related to the commentary um they brought up specifically of chris cooper who was the um bird watcher the african-american bird watcher who recently um earlier this year had the police called on him because he was telling a person who was walking in the park to uh, leash their dog which is you know the rules there um, and then that person going on to explicitly say, there's an African-American man in the park threatening my life. Um, but his words, I thought, following that incident were really powerful in that while he very much explicitly decried the actions that she did as blatantly racist, um, he did also wonder if perhaps it went too far. And in many ways... Um, questions and now this was something that he kind of left up to listeners and also up to the person who committed that crime against him um whether or not their entire life should be defined by one action whether in the past or in the subsequent future yeah i was blown away by his comments just the just the gentleness of his response basically saying like like you just summarized you know it's it's up to her if she's going to define her life based off this one moment or if if she will change and i thought that was incredible to hear that response um but i did want to back up just for a second because when and i don't i can't remember if you already said this but i know you mentioned donald trump talked about cancel culture obviously in a negative way in a political way um i do think it's fascinating to find a topic that both barack obama and donald trump are on the same side in a way i mean obviously they talk about it differently but they both, in a way, kind of condemn it. And I was like, wow, what other topics can you find that Barack Obama and Donald Trump will be on the same page? Like, like seriously, I don't, I don't really know many topics that would be easy to find. Uh, but That's true. I mean, but also, I mean, they do have very nuanced differences between the two, um, sure. obviously. And that, like, the reason why President Obama decried it was because um, the idea of casting stones assumes that they themselves are exempt from being flawed humans at some point in their lifetimes as well. Right. Whereas I think with Trump, it's a it's a bit different. <laughs> yes, that's true. And they did go into that in the second episode um, where they were talking about how the actual phrasing, they, they compared it to 
being politically correct and how that phrase is kind of a lightning rod. Like it's a, I think the term they used was a suitcase term where when you say a phrase like political correctness or cancel culture, a lot of other baggage comes with it. A lot of other um, assumptions come with like, oh, what, what exactly are you talking about? But it's actually kind of an undefined term. And this is actually kind of an encouraging conversation I had with a friend of mine in Wisconsin recently, just because um, I don't allegedly live here. I actually live here. Um, <laughs> I uh, I was asking him, like, what do you think of cancel culture? And even like, what do you think it even is? And we kind of wound up talking about boycotts, which I think this is different because cancel culture is in a context of social media and our current technological age, if you will. Um, whereas like the Montgomery bus boycotts is from in an age before Twitter or Facebook or Instagram. And those boycotts had a, a distinct purpose um, to kind of make the bus, the busing change. Right. To correct something that was institutional rather than in many ways to cancel culture tends to embody a personal um, justice centered in, or some people could perceive it to be a justice-centered kind of motive. Sure, but, I mean, there's... Right, I, well, I guess that's true. There's there's definitely a sense of, like, it's a justice-centered motive. So there's, there's an idea I want to kind of hone in on for a second, though, it's specifically talking about this in regards to Christianity and evangelicalism in America, is the idea that cancel culture is a tool that people try and use to like protect the purity of like a belief or a group. So it's kind of like, if you don't express this belief or this statement, then you can't be part of us anymore. You know, whatever us is, if that's social media, like we're going to shame you out of social media or we're going to, you know, shame you out of your job or pressure you out of, you know, whatever it is, this pressure. And it's interesting. I remember Sky Jathani um, mentioned how the church prior much longer prior to this we'd have excommunication this idea of like okay you're expressing a belief that is not orthodox which orthodox just means right teaching so basically your teaching is wrong uh so you cannot continue to teach it or something perhaps in your life the way that you are living your life is not um in alignment with with the teaching of the church so you cannot be a part of the church um, and it's interesting because in our age, we actually don't have a mechanism in evangelicalism or Protestantism that very easily kind of aligns with that, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. I think there are some good and bad things. Obviously, if if the church is abusing that power, that would be a good thing because then they're not being kicked out of the church. Um, but if someone is, is genuinely causing harm, uh, then there's not an easy way to say, hey, don't do that, <laughs> to say, hey, you can't be part of this group. Um, but anyway, that was right. Just, or like uh, we even talked about the other man was it two weeks ago? How you talked about you know the T-shirt that you're wearing as a representative of Christ and oh last week yeah if you're embodying something that's completely contrary or contradictory in many ways to essentially the identity of Christ, then it's like <laughs> why do we continue to allow this to occur? And like you said, it's due to the lack. I mean, in many ways, a lack of a structure within. Not even just like the theology of evangelicalism, but also like just the church in general. Yeah, well, and I think, I mean, 
I don't envy the people who have had to make those decisions throughout history of choosing to like, like if you were like withholding the Eucharist, I, I would not take that decision lightly. And in no ways do I think we want to communicate like, oh, we're standing as judge, like you're Christian or you're not Christian. At least I would, at least that's not my goal on this podcast right now. <laughs> but I think, it, yeah, structurally, just like looking at the church structurally, um, the Catholic church has a Pope and then there are layers underneath the Pope, but it's all, I, I know my Catholic friends or family members would say, Hey, it's not all, you know, hunky dory, very organized all the time, which is, you know, it's, it's humongous. So that's to be expected. But the point is there is a structure um, that's in place or even at Eastern Orthodox churches. And, and of course there are denominations within Protestantism and evangelicalism, as an idea that have structures, but I did I did want to go into this with our podcast episode title today, uh, the quadrilateral ain't a muscle. Uh, just trying to think of a funny way talking about the quadrilateral. It's a reference to Bebbington's quadrilateral, and if you're not familiar with Bebbington, he's a historian. David Bebbington, I believe he's British. I'm not sure, but we can you know you can Wikipedia it. And speaking of Wikipedia, pulling off Wikipedia for his quadrilateral, because I can't always remember the exact words of it. But basically, he tried to define evangelicalism. This is a couple of years ago. I think it might have been in the 90s as these four markers, because, again, there is no unifying structure. So it's not as easy as just like, oh, what is the you know, what does the pope of evangelicalism say? There is no pope. Or as like Richard Mao once said, he's a theologian. He said, I, I once, you know, wanted to resign from evangelicalism, but I don't know where to send the letter. Um, so anyway, these four markers loosely define evangelicalism, at least a couple of years ago. People still are arguing over whether or not it still defines it. But those four are one, biblicism. So a particular regard for the Bible. You know, often people will talk about God's word as inspired. Crucicentrism, a focus on the atoning work of Christ on the cross. So the cross is really important. What happened on the cross? Conversionism, you know, the belief that humans can be converted, um, that can actually decide to follow God. And in activism, this belief that the gospel needs to be expressed in effort. Um, so I know we're kind of covering a lot of different information we're talking about, but it, in a way it's all very related because it has to do with our structures. And just as evangelicalism is this decentralized decision-making body because it's more like it's a set of beliefs than an actual structure that holds it together. I think in another sense, our society in America is very similar because we do, it's not a monarchy. It's not an oligarchy ruled by a few. Um, it's, it's a representative democracy. So we have a voice. So we can't just outsource these large decisions onto other people, but as citizens, or as just people inhabiting this space, we have to decide how do we treat people we disagree with? How do we treat people that we think their views are too crazy? Um, and that that's just kind of, I don't know, I was just trying to give that framework for thinking about it, but I don't, I've been rambling a lot. <laughs> you tell me, tell me, Nick, what do you, what do you think about uh, that parallel? I think it works well in that it's, I mean, I was just referring back to the podcast itself where they talked about how social media is a nuanced destruction machine and then they tie it back into them not believing that it's a good thing for democracy. Yeah, well, and I mean, honestly, 
a large motivation for creating a podcast, talking about these topics, is because it is difficult to talk on social media with with people that I I really genuinely want to have these conversations. Sometimes it's easier to make a podcast episode with with a good friend and and hash out some of these things and disseminate truth in this way. <laughs> um, yeah, there is one final thing I wanted to. Oh, I don't know. This is. This is a heavy one, or maybe not heavy, but it's, it's uh, I don't know, what's the right word for it? It's a little, I don't know if the punchy is the right word. It's just something I've been chewing on. I'll, I'll float it by you. You can tell me what you think uh, and float it by all of our listeners. Uh, <laughs> so it's about how cancel culture has often been wielded, for lack of a better term, to try and uh, kind of like like Trump was talking about cancel culture in a negative way to try and say, look how people are using cancel culture, how, how negative it is for us. Um, and I'm, I'm not even saying that he's totally wrong. I'm just observing that, that it's being used as a political tool. Um, I think in a similar way, you have to track with me for a moment that the phrase fake news is actually similarly wielded. So if cancel culture is this idea that you're trying to protect the purity of like a a group or a set of you know dogma fake news is also this attempt to protect the purity of somebody but in almost like a reverse way so let's say let's say somebody does something that is wrong and i don't want to believe that that person actually does wrong things so then to protect my idea of that person's, you know, like almost a sense of like moral upstandingness, like righteousness or, or maybe not righteousness, that might be a little heavy of word, but just the fact that they generally don't do wrong things, or at least not to the extent that I hear reported on, then the way to protect the purity of that person, or at least my conception of that person's purity and purity, not in the sense of like, uh, not like like purity in the sense of acceptable, like their acceptableness to me. I just simply dismiss those stories. And I'm not saying we shouldn't have discernment in media. We'll, we'll definitely talk about that on this podcast, but I don't know. What do you, what do you think about that concept? <laughs> I mean, it tends to flow pretty well. I think it will challenge many, perhaps listeners, and understanding perhaps where some some blinders might kind of arise, you know, and that like we might like we talk about um, cognitive dissonance sometimes in that we have this one perception, but we're kind of clouded by maybe our preconceived notions of what um, truth looks like, whether it be through like our upbringing or through just the media that we're consuming that doesn't allow us to perhaps take like we even talked at the beginning of the episode or of the series i guess um that humbleness of mind to kind of be receptive to things that challenge our initial perceptions or what we've been led to believe through the media that we've consumed historically and might need to be challenged on in some ways yeah and i mean Honestly, I, I also, there's there's definitely times when I've found myself wanting to dismiss certain stories um, that I don't like. So it's not 
just challenging certain people or groups i i also feel my you know my own my own need to constantly be vetting things but uh anyway that was uh that was a lot of thoughts um thanks for sticking with us guys in that uh introduction that i am sure to hear about from other people uh but thanks for thanks for sticking with us we're excited to uh come to you and oh we did want to plug we do have a patreon and now there will be two episodes on the Patreon that are available, uh, content that's only available to Patreon supporters. So go check it out if you want to support us. We'd love to get that content to you. And uh, finally, before I go, Nick, any, any last thoughts before we go? No, not that I know. Just to check out the Patreon with our cool content, which I cannot actually remember the name of the the episode that we just released oh for you're talking about so the episode that'll be the first bonus afrocentrism or facts fact centrism um question mark or at least there is a question mark anyway and so that's our patreon second episode and join us next week for our first interview so instead of directing somewhere else we'll just be the interview right right here at beggar's bread and the title of that one will be Assault, Boundaries, and a Vision for Kids. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week.